Welcome back to the CMU Now podcast. We are joined today for a special edition by um, a couple of special people that I want to introduce. Heidi Hess, longtime um, well-known Grand Junction friend and activist and community leader. And we're also joined by uh, our Attorney General, Phil Weiser, who is no stranger to Western Colorado himself. And I've referred and maybe reflected many times, Mr. Attorney General, that I think you have been one of the most visible statewide electeds over in Grand Junction. And, and of course, we deeply appreciate that. So thank you both for being here. It's thank great to you. be here. Yeah. Heidi, give us, a, for our listeners who who don't know who Heidi Hess is, give us a, give us a quick introduction and a little bit how you orient yourself to this conversation today. Yeah, so um, I'm a lifelong activist, but in since I moved to Grand Junction 13 years ago, um, I've been very involved in uh, the LGBTQ community. That's always been one of my passionate um, activism points. So mm-hmm. I was involved with um, the predecessor to the current Pride organization, which is Colorado West Pride, and I'm one of the founding members of that organization. Great, and we'll talk more about um, about why we're together for this. But um, Attorney General Weiser, you know, many Coloradans know who you are, but there's probably some who are still getting acquainted. We, I think, sometimes uh, assume everybody's paying close attention, but you know, my, for those listeners who maybe this is their first introduction, give us a little flavor of how you come to this conversation and how you found elective office and so forth. Well, equality is something that in my family is kind of in my DNA. My mom and my grandparents are Holocaust survivors, and students of the Holocaust know that Gays and lesbians, along with Jews, were targeted by Hitler for extermination. And the history of marginalized peoples and civil rights is one that I've spent a lot of time working on. And I have devoted my life to how do we serve the public in a way that we're all in this work together and that we respect everyone. The United States of America was founded on a promise of equality for all. That's our North Star. And it has been a journey of how do we perfect this union and because of my family's history my whole career has been how do i contribute so i went to law school because i believed that law was a tool for justice i worked as a law clerk to justice ruth bader ginsburg i got to work for president barack obama in the white house and in the department of justice was a longtime professor and dean at the university of Colorado law school and Mm -hmm. then ran to be attorney general because my vision is this is the job of the people's lawyer. So I'm here in Grand Junction, I'm gonna hear from the people on a merger that we're reviewing Mm. involving City Market and Safeway because my view is we're governed of the people, by the people, for the people. Well, the context is really helpful. And of course, this weekend is um, Pride in the Park, what has um, long roots that I wanna explore just a little bit, but maybe just orient us, Heidi, this weekend on Saturday, uh, our community will come together for an annual um, yeah. celebration of Pride Fest. What, what's that look like, and how yeah, did that come it, about here? 
It's a um, it's a whole week worth of events that actually starts on Wednesday and ends on Sunday. Um, but the the Pride in the Park is our signature event. We um, it, and it's grown um, our Pride Festival. We call it mm-hmm. generally mm-hmm. the Pride Festival. Yep, yep. Um, and the festival has grown so much. Um, this is the twelfth year. Um, in year one, I think we had maybe t- maybe seven vendors <laughs> um, and a couple hundred people show up. Um, this year we have over 60 booths, um, bands, performers, mm-hmm. um, and we have... We have seen upwards of 3,000 people throughout uh, our Pride events um, in, in, in the Western Slope to grow to that. Hmm. Um, and we're expecting to see that many this year as well. Yeah. And, and of course, there's, there's history in this country around, around this topic. And, you know, I think fitting to have our, our um, Attorney General here to talk a little bit about this. You've had history not just in Colorado, but of course nationally around some of these issues. You know, thinking back to Stonewall and some of the fight for that, um, maybe share with us a little bit your view. You know how this has progressed over time, and maybe reflecting on this moment, some of the progress maybe that's been made that leading up to events like this. Diversity and inclusion is hard because. Many people who are different in any way, their sexual orientation, their religion, their ethnicity, their race, often ask, am I safe to be my authentic self? Should I stay in the closet? Should I pass to somebody else? And I think a lot about that because growing up Jewish, I had the question of do I come out and say I'm Jewish, which is a risky thing sometimes. The, the number one form of religious-motivated hate crimes in the United States by far are t- against Jews, anti-Semitism. But I know Mormons who feel also a lot of fear when people say, what religion are you? For some people, they have to think, do they want to answer the question? Because yeah. it's safe to say, I'm Christian. Yeah. But if you say I'm Jewish or Jesus Christ Church of Latter-day Saints or I'm a Muslim, um, They say, tell me about your, and they mention an opposite sex partner, assuming you're straight. Someone has to think, what do I say? And I, like you, John, like you, Heidi, we've lived through a time that today, when I talk to my kids, it's unbelievable. LGBTQ equality is not even like remotely something they even think about. It's like, sure, you're um, non-binary or you're gay. That's fine. Live and let live. I had friends who were afraid to come out to me growing up. I had friends who were afraid that when they fell in love and had kids, they wouldn't have the ability to have their kids stay with them if their partner passed away. And so I've seen this journey. And if you don't believe in progress in America, you haven't studied the history of LGBTQ equality because this history is unbelievable. In Colorado, within 30 years, we went from being known as the hate state where we had passed this amendment to that limited access to civil rights protections, to electing our nation's first openly gay governor, and nobody really cares that much. That's progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it, it is interesting. And of course, you, you point out uh, Colorado's uh, progression and, and really evolution on, on this topic, maybe in, in some ways uh, mirrors the country's. But 
there's also these unique realities, I think, how you would agree that living in um, outside of the large metro areas, right, that, you know, life is different out here. And in many ways, that's why we live here. We enjoy the quality of life. We enjoy yeah. things. But there's also um, there's also this reality that culturally things feel a little bit different here than than they might elsewhere. And so, you know, I might ask you, Heidi, if you would reflect on some of what you've seen, even in the short time uh, you've been in Grand Junction, like some of the changes in, and what, if any, um, progress you've seen personally. Yeah, a lot. There's, um, you know, I, I came out in 1982, mm. <laughs> um, which was a very long time ago, um, and I planned... You were a child at the time. Mm-hmm. You were a child at the I, time. I was 16. Yeah, yeah I was a teenager. I, I was in my 30s. Um, uh, my, um, I planned the first gay pride parade in Omaha, Nebraska, which is where I was born hmm. and raised. Um, and there were nine people, including my parents, and most of them had bags over their heads because they were afraid of getting fired from their jobs. Um, to now... We have hundreds of people in Grand Junction participating in the parade. Hmm. Um, when we have we have a parade every year, um, and the parade, the first year had it, we had to go really slow just to make the parade last fifteen minutes. Um, and now the parade is is as long as an hour. Hmm. Um, and that's not going really slow. Um, it's going parade style, but not like, please walk very slowly. Um, and that's a big change. Um, I can say that what, some of the things that I've seen um, is more people on the sidewalks or watching the parade or coming to pride events that are not that don't identify specifically as LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. Um, So the larger community is coming uh, to some of these events and participating in in a friendly, good way. Um, And that's positive. That's really really positive. And that's, it's slow, but it's a big change um, for the Western Slope. Yeah, I've I've watched uh, maybe, maybe a mirror image of that in some respects, but just watching how you know, over time in some of these smaller communities, um, and, and just maybe echoing to your earlier point, um, Phil, this notion that it's, you know, it's hard to hate up close. And as you have people in your life and in your circles and in your community who you know um, who may be gay, well, it, it changes the perspective. It's the, It ceases to be kind of an ethereal, far-off thing. It's in, it's in my life. It's in my relationships. And so... Um, there seems to me to be a, a linkage between the more we're in connection, more in relationship, more in community, uh, the easier it is to engage in some of these conversations, even ones that might be difficult or uncomfortable for somebody who hasn't maybe yeah. typically had those discussions. Absolutely. Today happens to be um, my 10-year anniversary of our wedding, okay. my wife and I. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. And... Um, the interesting story to that is um, we live in a small cul-de-sac, and when we first moved in to and bought that house, the neighbors were like, oh, like, I think that's a gay couple. 
And as they got to know us, they were a little standoffish. And then they really started like getting to know us. And and we started interacting as neighbors. As, as And this is to, to what you were saying, John, is um, they got to know us as people. And these people that I never would have guessed would have been invited or come to our wedding, came to our wedding, enjoyed it, hmm. loved it, decorated our house for us uh, when we got back from our honeymoon. Um, and many of the, all of them had said, we, we don't know anybody. We didn't know anybody who was gay. And I was hmm. like, I bet you do. I bet you actually do. They've just never told you. Yeah. If I could follow up on that, the public opinion has taken an unbelievable journey from the early 1990s in the lower 20% area, 22, 23% of the American public said they approve of what we now refer to as marriage equality. Today, that number is 75%, and Congress, on a bipartisan basis, passed a law protecting marriage equality at a time that Congress is not passing many laws on anything. <laughs> the U.S. Supreme Court story of that, which really gets to a little bit of Heidi's point about who you know, Justice Powell was the swing vote in a case called Bowers versus Hardwick. The question before the court was whether or not a state could criminalize consensual gay relations. And Justice Powell was initially going to vote with Justice Blackmun, saying there was a liberty interest for gays and lesbians to engage in intimate relations. He had a clerk that year who was gay, who was in the closet. The clerk was going to come out if Powell was going to vote the other way. But Powell then changed his mind over the weekend and joined with Justice White on the other side of the opinion. The clerk never came out. Hmm. Powell later said, I didn't know anybody who was gay. As Heidi said, he knew people who were gay. He had a gay law clerk. He just didn't know they were gay. And Powell also said that was his biggest mistake as a justice in that case. His replacement on the Supreme Court, Justice Anthony Kennedy, had a lot of gay friends in California and was a real advocate for equal rights. In fact, Kennedy wrote the opinion, Romer versus Evans, that overturned Colorado's amendment to that earned us the moniker the hate state. And Kennedy also was active in the case Lawrence versus Texas, I believe he wrote that opinion too, that overturned Bowers versus Hardwick. And then finally Obergefell, a case that recognized marriage equality. So just from Justice Powell, who said, I don't know anybody who's gay, who mm -hmm. voted to allow states to criminalize intimate relations between um, same-sex couples to Justice Kennedy, who did know people and who really was critical in these decisions. It's interesting. You've you've hit on two kind of interesting themes that we've we've seen in civil rights over the years. But um, I, I actually was in a, a session with um, one of your mentors, with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and and she described the court's job as not reflecting the weather of the day, but rather the climate of the era. And it seems to me this one. This particular topic maybe has changed faster than some in the minds of the public, but in some ways, do you think that's what's happened here? Is is the court and some of those decisions over time reflected a climate of the era? The court's approach on these issues, if you contrast it with access to abortion care as a constitutional right, are an instructive study. Part of what happened, and Justice Ginsburg criticized this, the Supreme Court in Roe versus Wade stepped into this area and constitutionalized the right before states had done a lot of liberalization. In the case of marriage equality, there was a lot of movement at the state level, mm. a lot of grassroots activity that built up support for the movement, a lot of pride parades. And in that sense, this movement, which included a lot of people coming out and being willing to 
tell their friends, families, neighbors who they are, change public opinion so that when the court stepped in, it was able to rest firmly on public opinion. In a way, Roe versus Wade has, in a sense, only now, after the court overturned Roe in Dobbs, catalyzed public opinion in a grassroots way. And so I do think what Ginsburg is getting at is the court acts in concert with the overall public sentiments, and the court needs to be aware. And I think the court was aware around gay rights not to go too quickly, and they were aware that there was an important public process, a grassroots process. And that's, I think, an interesting case study. I don't think there's any going back from that. And Mm. Congress passing this marriage equality law is a piece of that. So I, I think Ginsburg would say, yes, the court was mindful of the changing climate and worked to act um, in lockstep with it, not get too far out front of it. And it didn't trail too far behind it either. It, it really managed um, its role in an effective way. And, and Ginsburg was someone who thought a lot about this because she also was very active in women's rights. Um, she litigated a case in the 1970s at a time when, again, public opinion was starting to change about the role of women in society, and the court also recognized equal rights for women under the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. You know, the, we're, we're kind of talking about these two parallel tracks, right? On the one hand, you've got what's happening in uh, law and in the courts and in the legislatures and the Congress. And then you have what you described, relationships, community, and culture. And it seems to me that the one and, and the other are tied. And, and I, you know, Heidi, I don't know about you, but I've reflected on this one of the reasons why I think many people enjoy living in more rural areas is, in fact, this idea of connection and community and relationship. Um, and I just I wonder if there's um, there's other reflection around that that's instructive for some of these broader issues. Right? There's a whole variety of these civil rights issues that are sort of going on, and and good heavens, the the number of things that we seem to find ways to disagree on today is is a long one, but. I wonder if there's some instruction for all of us in that. Um. Yeah, I think um, living over here on the Western Slope, there is this um, connection to community. And and there's also a, a sense, there's also a sense often of live and let live. Hmm. Um, yeah, there is a little bit of that libertarian streak, a right? A bit of that libertarian yeah. streak out here. Yep. Um, and I think one of the, one of the, biggest um, and most impactful things are, are, are events like Pride, empowering young people and, and, fo- and, and people to come out and be their authentic selves in our community. Um, it opens up dialogue, mm. it opens up conversation, um, and it's gotten safer. It, it is, it is safer on the Western Slope uh, in Grand Junction to be um, out and to walk down Main Street holding your wife's hand. Um, and and that's because there's been this, this integration of we are also part of the community. Um, and that's not just a separate community. It's part of the larger community. Um, when I talk sometimes to groups, uh, one of the things I say is all issues are LGBTQ issues because there are LGBTQ people everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so homelessness 
is an unhoused issue, our LGBTQ issues. Um, food, you know, many of, we run many events throughout a year that gather food where we don't um, get, we don't, we don't, charge people to get in the charges bring bring a couple cans of food um so that we can donate to the food bank because mm-hmm. hunger is also an lgbtq issue housing schools mm-hmm. um and i think that the more people in the community see and see that and understand that the the less the divide mm. the the more similarities yeah it was uh, it was funny we were getting lunch with um, a mutual friend of both years, Mike Mansheim, who, of course, is leading the, the Colorado Health Network effort over here. And and we were reflecting at lunch that, you know, there was a time where uh, HIV was kind of one of the sort of the elephant in the room, if you will, around um, issues that were in particular affecting gay men. And, and you know, we were chatting about the fact that their work has, has really evolved into really supporting a broad spectrum of people around drug use and um, and and supporting the community more broadly and maybe just echoing what you just said, which is, you know, some of these niche issues that are actually now moving across a broader spectrum of support for the larger Western Slope. And I know Mike's um, organization is working hard to meet people where they're at. And, you know, it came from a place of really specific LGBTQ issues, but today, you know, has really morphed into something that is supporting the broader community and a topic around opioid crisis and, um, you know, the issues that come along with that, but maybe just echoing what you're describing there, right? You made a comment earlier, and I think I'd have picked up on it, about connection. And you mentioned the opioid crisis. It is my view that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. Hmm. And when people are lonely or isolated or marginalized, they're less healthy. They're at greater risk. And part of what was so terrifying about the HIV crisis was if you said this, it's not safe to be gay or lesbian. The first meaning was, I worry that if I come out, I will be beaten to death like Matthew Shepard was. That's one of the meanings. But it also wasn't safe because there was this disease that had this huge impact and it a time that it felt like the nation was um, not sure that it was going to take this on as something that we all cared about. And that was also this loneliness. By contrast, if today we say all of us need all of us, we're here for all of us, we care about all of us, we don't want people to be lonely or marginalized or left out, we want to all be connected, that helps us realize the promise of our society. And I do think in the West, these traditions coexist. One is the spirit of I'm on my own, you know, resilience. And another is we're in this together. And Mm -hmm. I think you have to be able to honor and integrate both of them for us to be the best society we can be. Yeah. The opioid crisis is instructive in a variety of ways, but there's, there's sort of like, um, there's sort of this tragic intimacy that grows around crisis. And, and so, um, you know, just building on that idea of, rural and urban is drawn together, black and white is drawn together, straight and gay is drawn together, because as it turns out, we're all impacted by some of those, uh, some of those really existential challenges like the opioid crisis, right? And another connection is there's shame for people who are struggling with drug addiction. 
a lot of people are afraid to acknowledge and families are afraid to acknowledge. And whenever you have shame or silence, um, there's often suffering in that. We've gotten so much better as a society about cancer. A movie, Terms of Endearment, some of us may remember, Deborah Winger tells a friend, can you tell people it's okay to talk about the cancer? She wasn't afraid to talk about it. Today, I don't know anybody who's afraid to talk about cancer. People mm -hmm. talk about it. Cancer sucks. I'm dealing with cancer. But people won't talk about drug addiction sucks or depression sucks. So the more we can be open with one another, mm. be our authentic selves, live as our authentic selves, the less of that disconnect or real dissonance that, you know, anytime you're having to wear a mask in one area because you can't tell people who you really are, mm. that weighs on people. Yeah. Well, and I think um, I want to just there's there's a piece of that that is in the LGBTQ community. Um, there's a long history of the only places, and this goes back to Stonewall, the only places that that they could safely, and I say that loosely, meet were at bars. And so our community has a, a higher rate of addiction, a higher rate of alcohol abuse, drug abuse, um, and a higher rate of depression because of the disconnect and the shame and, and the loneliness. And this kind of goes back to what Mike was talking about, too, about meeting people where they are. Mm -hmm. One of the things we, we used to have uh, Colorado West Pride at all of our events for years. We had alcohol at all of our events, every single one. Mm -hmm. um, even at the festival, we served alcohol. We have shifted over the last two years listening to our community. Um, and Pride in the Park is a substance-free event. Mm -hmm. And uh, we started that last year with the intentionality of it being substance-free. And the beautiful part about that is we met people who, kept, who came out to Pride who thanked us and said, I've never felt safe or comfortable because I'm sober and mm. I'm working on my sobriety. I've never felt like I could come to a Pride event in Grand Junction, and now I can. Mm. And so it's being intentional about creating those opportunities. Yeah, I, I think this ethos of I'm gonna care more about you as a person, right? Figuring out how do we how do we engage in a a real relationship um, where I care about you as a person, my neighbor in the cul-de-sac first before I care about, um, you know, say who your spouse is or who you voted for or something else, right? There's sort of this like foundational relationship question and that means being respectful of our differences and not making assumptions about each other that, um, you know, to your point, if, if I'm struggling with substance abuse, well, it's gonna be hard for me to come out there if uh, there's no space for me to do that. Absolutely. And, and meeting our neighbors where they're at, it is, um, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and having Pride in the Park in Lincoln Park, right at the center of the city, hmm. right close to campus, so it's easy for students to come and visit. Um, it's a big move, it's very visible, and it is that we're able to do that um, and have it in such a prominent place in the city hmm. is, um, it says a lot. It, it says a lot. Well, I'll reflect one thing to you, and I, I know 
the attorney general pays attention to these questions, but we survey our students on a somewhat regular basis here at CMU. And one of the questions, you know, that we look at is, um, how, how good of an experience are you having on campus? How welcome do you feel here? And then we ask the same question about the community. And for years, we've, we've seen this kind of duality around students tend to gay, straight, black, white, they tend to have a really good experience here. And then they turn around and they say, well, I, I'm not certain I feel quite so welcome in the community. And one of the efforts we've been undertaking in the last few years is engaging our community, our business advisory groups and others to say, how do you, what are you doing at a grocery store, at a after hours, at a park festival, at a game, at a theater event to make college students who are coming from different backgrounds and different communities who maybe look different or worship different or love different, how are you making them welcome in this community? And, and we've seen some movement on that. And to your earlier point, in a positive direction, still well, have plenty to go. There is, and this year is the first year that we've actually had that we're having a Pride event at CMU, mm-hmm. um, which is huge because the community, as the larger community of Grand Junction, is going to be coming onto campus um, for a, a Pride fashion show. Mm-hmm. Um, and pride is close enough that students are going to be able to go out into the community. So that duality of moving, of just human beings moving in mm. different spaces, mm. into spaces that might be new to them um, in a welcoming way, I think is so important, not only to the students at CMU, but also to the larger community. Let me comment a few points on that. Robert Putnam wrote a book in the 1990s called Bowling Alone. And the thesis was in the 1950s, people belonged to bowling leagues, a source of connection. But in the 90s, they were bowling alone. And that's a metaphor for the challenges we have as a society. And here we are, 2023, social media has made that much worse. Mm. People are much Mm -hmm. less likely to be engaged person to person. You see young kids and their phones and how it occupies a lot of their mind share is not real person engagement, but mediated by this device, which has algorithms. And those algorithms can actually harm youth mental health. We know from a whistleblower from Instagram that they'd look up content, young girls on how do I lose weight, and you get videos on self-harm and even suicide. And by having this in-person series of events, you're building connections in community with people who can build relationships. And you mentioned uh, the grocery store. I'm here also to do a town hall about the merger I mentioned. And one of the things I've heard in other town halls is how much Longstanding employees of the grocery stores have relationships with people in community, and those yeah. relationships are nurturing. Oh, I know what meat you want me to cut. Um, one person in Montreux said to the meat cutter, Mike, my mom loves you more than she loves me. And so that's a relationship in community. And I think we t- have taken some of those for granted. Yeah. And when we have community gatherings, community split spaces, and welcome students and welcome people who are different, um, that's really us at our best. Well, grateful for the the thoughtful discussion, and um, you know, Mr. Attorney General, thank you for coming to Grand Junction as as you do frequently, and we're grateful for that on a whole host of topics. Um, Heidi, thank you for your leadership in our community, and I just um, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell our listeners, you know, if you are curious about um, what this festival is, it'll be this Saturday through yeah. the afternoon, right? It's Saturday, starting at noon at Lincoln Park, um, and it goes until 
six, um, and then we'll be having a, a pride march um, uh, around two o'clock. Got it. Well, grateful for both of you taking time out of your day to um, have a thoughtful discussion about about this, about Western Colorado, and um, really more broadly these questions about civil rights and uh, how we come alongside our our friends and neighbors who um, maybe are LGBTQ and in some of these rural communities. So, um, Heidi, thank you. Phil, thank you. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of CMU Now podcast, and we will catch you next time.